0: Hello, welcome to More Than Just A Vet, a podcast where I explore the lives of veterinary professionals when they are not at work. I want to know what's behind the surgical mask of the people who try to help our animals. What are their struggles? What are their passions? Why did they choose the veterinary profession path? Is it as glamorous and fantastic, as we've seen in some TV programs? Or is there more to it? My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Hello, this is Claire. Um, she's a veterinary surgeon. She works as a locum um, for small animals, um, but she has a certificate in uh, equine medicine. in equine medicine? Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And um, Claire, uh, tell me a, li- a little more about, about you. Um, where are you from? Where you are you now? And how did you end up there? <laughs>
1: It's a very long story. Um, so I'm originally from the northeast of England. So I live right on the border. Well, my parents live right on the border of sort of North Yorkshire and sort of County Durham at the bottom of a little place called Teesdale. So middle of nowhere to a lot of extents. Um, grew up in the countryside, but sort of was the daughter of sort of uh, sort of well working class turned middle class parents. Um, I decided like so many people at sort of a very young age that I was going to be a vet and was lucky enough that I was sort of clever enough and had a supportive enough school that sort of I got the bits of paper that I needed. Um, That being said, I sort of, I only got one interview to one vet school, um, which was London, but um, thankfully it turned out I only needed one interview to one vet school because they were happy to have me, so I Went to London for five years to study at the RVC, um, what feels like many, many moons ago now. Um, so, I was one of the first sort of first intakes of this of this century. Um, so we graduated in two thousand. Um, so
0: I, I see. Now something that you um you put in your email when you send is that becoming a vet. Then you you say a couple of times, well, I start to feel a bit trapped because yeah. of the narrowing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want th- to explain a little bit? Because I yeah. sympathize with you about this. I, th- I think yeah. I felt I, a little bit the
1: same. I think so, I mean it's such a common story sort of for vets that sort of for since you were tiny that's what you decided to do and and I think we sort of the sort of the way we take people into the course and things it, it predisposes to people who are very sort of focused and single-minded and very driven towards that goal. The problem is, though, that that means that sort of almost when you achieve that goal or if it seems challenging in that getting that goal, all of a sudden you're like, I don't know what to do. I haven't got a plan B. I sort of I never considered a plan B. So, yeah, I mean, I can remember even at even at vet school, sort of usually around exam time when things was getting a bit stressful, sort of having that. am I doing the right thing? Sort of. But then also having that But I have no idea what else I want to do, which is probably really common for sort of everybody at sort of 18 to 23, that sort of whole, I don't know what I'm going to be. But because you've been so committed to this idea for so long, I think it's almost becomes part of your identity so then when you start to question that you're questioning who you are so yeah I mean certainly at uni and then you're like well I've committed to this I've got to see it through and then obviously you graduate and you're working and again uh, more than one occasion sort of being a bit like I I don't know whether this is for me I wonder if I I enjoy it but then I also wonder sort of there's other things maybe they could have done something else um and for a long time, I think the how we define sort of seeing a vet has been about being a clinical sort of consulting person, somebody who works sort of works with animals every day, and we are finally start to see, starting to see a sort of a broadening of sort of offers as to sort of what you can do with the vet with your vet degree that it doesn't have to simply yes. be clinical work. Um, and I think that's exciting.
0: I'm very interested in that because I'll tell you a secret. Um I have questioned myself whether this is what I wanted to do all my life. Yeah. And one of the reasons i may be recording a podcast with you is because I'm still asking myself, is it what I wanted to do? Because I'm I'm doing something different with myself, you know. I'm um, <laughs> I, I tried I enter hobbies all through my life. In a way, thinking, what else could I do with my knowledge and my degree that's not being a vet? And is that, is that an exit route, right? Yeah. From it. And, um, and yet something that feeling trapped is something that I, I do agree. Sometimes I feel that way. And then when you said, well, I found you, you sent an email that you've, you found a coach to, um, to find, um, to find how to use and to um, transfer skills. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so sort of I was probably fifteen, 15 12, 15 years into sort of into my career. Um, I'd been an equine. I'd been an assistant in two, three practices because I went to one and then came back again. Um, I'd been an equine vet for sort of some time. I think I'd got my certificate, which sort of involved a lot of extra study to sort of change the way I think about cases, the way I approach sort of working cases yes. up and things, and also to give me sort of more detailed knowledge in an area that i subsequently left, um, but couldn't have made that transition without that study. Um, and I, I felt stuck. I was mid-30s. I sort of I'd actually had a relationship, that's sort, of, sort of a serious relationship that sort of had sort of been sort of difficult in that sort of we'd started to do the grown-up things, we'd bought a house, uh, we had sort of contemplated, well actually con- sort of got as far as getting engaged and sort of organising a wedding and sort of decided, despite my always being a sort of I'm never going to have kids, deciding that maybe actually we'll give it a try and turns out that wasn't meant to be um so sort of we followed the path of many many couples out there in that sort of we conceived very easily and then miscarried very quickly um Mm. and then just never got pregnant again um that sort of like along with a load of other sort of personal stuff sort of meant the world through a lot of stuff for us to deal with as individuals and also as a couple Um, and like many relationships unfortunately found that sort of our individual coping strategies when the world went sort of difficult were not really compatible and that actually we were sort of making things harder for each other rather than being able to come together as a unit um, which meant that that sort of that came to an end and sort of things so sort of I found myself at this sort of I guess very existential sort of almost midlife crisis even though i was only 35 um going i don't know what i want to do i, I feel stuck i don't want yes. to just be an assistant for the rest of my life like you were saying yes. i i want to continue to be stretched i want to continue to grow as a person i'm only 35 i mean i'm 44 now i'm our generation is and and those below us are going to live longer and longer i mean yes. we we're, we're hopefully living into our 80s 90s 100s if you're yes. sort of in your 20s now our working life isn't going to be that traditional 20 40 years our working yes. life is going to be 50 60 years and yes. at 35 i'm i'm not even halfway into my working life and i'm sat yep. looking going this 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 can't be it i yeah. i can't do this for For another 40 years, I enjoy it, but there are whole other parts to who I am, skills that I've got that I want to be using Uh and utilizing. But like we said earlier, I felt stuck. I felt that I was just an equine vet, that I had nothing else to offer. So yeah, I was fortunate enough to come across or was recommended somebody um, who had started doing sort of coaching, um, which... Uh is becoming more and more very common within our profession yes. and I know the rest of this sort of working community and, and we're sort of starting to embrace this realization that sometimes actually it's a good while it's not cheap it's a really good investment to sit yeah. down with a third with a, with another person who has training in basically how to help you to sort of work out what you want and and think yeah. about sort of Think about what you need and, and yeah, think about the, all the skills you have. And that really helped me to sort of just recognize that I was more than just a vet, that I was more than just an equine vet, um, yes. that sort of actually a lot of the skills that we use on a day-to-day basis are hugely transferable. Um, yes. So, yeah, it, it sort of was a very positive experience and sort of I've kept in touch with them and have other people in my life and actually I'm probably just about to sort of consider doing the same thing again um, but with a different individual for sort of um, developing the next phase of my life.
0: Okay 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 and and, and now what you're doing now is me with uh, and you do small animals even I, though you have a, a um, certificate in equine but that's yeah. that's true that actually gives you a different insight of what people want as well because I find myself in the consultation room that I have a lot of clients that they have horses as well as pets and I think many of them treat their animals in a little bit of a different way of the person who only have uh, pets and they don't <laughs> have a relation with uh, w- with horses so so yeah I I see that I see that and I, and I think I think it's important um something that um I I as many people is is whether you became a vet and I think you very much answered that. Um, one of the things I, I also, I also ask is if you have animals and then <laughs> uh, you send me an email and you talk to me about uh, something that I find, I found really funny because uh, you have a cat called gato.
1: Yeah, it's right? called gato. Which is
0: cat in Spanish.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he was um he he wasn't mine originally. So he's an he's a South Manchester street cat who adopted one of my old colleagues. Um, my old colleague was from Tenerife, and his housemate was either Spanish or Italian, I forget which. Um, and they adopted the cat, and apparently the boys were obviously not feeling particularly imaginative when they named him, and so he's called Gato. Um, That's brilliant. And and he moved in, and I'm like, I can't call the cat cat. That's just ridiculous. And then he moves in and turns out he is actually a cat that suits being called Cat. He sort of, he <laughs> actually, there are just some cats out there that they sort of, I, yeah, that suit Cat. I'm I i I'm old enough to sort of remember when Cats the Musical was originally, and more importantly, um, the poems are actually, Cats was based on the poems of T.S. Eliot, and there is a whole poem on the naming of Cats, which if you haven't... Um, Read it. I would highly recommend. I mean, it's very funny about the fact that cats have many different names, um, and yeah, he he suits cat. So yeah, he is called Gato.
0: Last time um, I, um, I I talk about my podcast with uh, one of my colleagues, um, she said, "Well, uh, you've been talking about this cat, and you could see the cat in the in the podcast, in the in the video conference, but we couldn't. We were all <laughs> listening. Would you send me a picture of your cat?"
1: I will send you he's very photogenic. I mean he's Thank he's black nice. as black as night, so it it does make it sometimes, but he is also very photogenic. Perfect. So yes, I And will. just
0: a, as a side thing, my dad used to have a a dog. Yep um my dad's Spanish and he called him perro <laughs> which is you know dog in Spanish. So that that's that Some,
1: sometimes just has to be done kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um what do you most like of being about
1: uh, the people I, it's the one thing that's both driven me nuts and keep me sane through sort of through covid i think um the people i work with um i'm very lucky now that sort of as a locum i get to work with different teams um and actually for me for me that works because it means i can bring my best when i'm yeah. when i'm with them i'm not sort of you don't get sort of drawn into quite so much to the complexities of sort of working somewhere long term. Um, So the way I tend to work, I have a network of sort of four or five teams that I work closely with. Um, So sort of, I'm usually in for sort of a few days or a week or so to cover holiday. Um, I have one of my practices I'm usually at for most of the summer um, to cover their summer holidays because they're a big practice. Um, So they've always got someone off for about eight weeks. Um, But yeah, and it means that sort of I can show each time I go, I'm sort of, I'm refreshed and I can bring the best version of me to sort of support them as needed. Um, So yeah, the sort of the teams I work with, and also the majority of clients. Most of our clients are actually sort of lovely. As all sort of, I guess, sort of forward-facing sort of um, service providers, there is a small minority which attempt to ruin it for the rest, yes, yes. Um. Yes, well, it's
0: like everything. I, I remember when I was a locum like ten years ago, and I I worked in different practice, most of them for a well-known uh, out of hours, um, and then my my main problem was I didn't know where things were. You know, <laughs> I I spent the whole the whole consultation opening cupboards. <laughs> where is the antibiotic bottle? And um, and but you know you have a network of it's smaller than it gives you the best of both worlds because yeah. you know where things are. Yeah, and, I know how the teams uh,
1: work. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. It, I, it, does, I, it does make sense.
1: I started at one of, one of my now practices, my busiest practice. The first shift I ever did for them was on the Tuesday after a bank holiday weekend. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> it was Most chaos the <laughs> it was chaos and as you say every consult takes it's just two or three minutes longer potentially as you open doors yes. and cupboards looking for things but actually if you put that over sort of 20 consults a day yes. over the day you've lost an hour kind of thing just yes, yes, i was just looking just like, for things. like yes. oh my goodness this is ridiculous so yeah i saw never again do that
0: Yes. No no matter if they give you an induction Or anything like that Because at the end of the day You know You can learn where everything is it's just My memory like is shocking For that
1: sort of thing Yeah <laughs> And it's like It's alright People go We've got labels on everything It's like Yeah that's great But I need to know Which postcode in the practice I'm looking for the label draw
0: <laughs> Yeah I um, Something that I I was very impressed by Is when When you send me an email And ask you about And I'm going to try to Answer the question for you It's about this the the, the, the delic- delicate question. What you don't like of being a vet? And then you say that is people as well. But something that I was very impressed by is that, um, you said that people are under pressure, financial pressure, time pressure. Um, and because of that, they don't have the reserve of acting properly and sometimes in with courtesy. And uh, when things don't go as they as they expect which is very common that's why you know i say to clients look i'm here for the bad news you know yeah. if if the animal's better i'm here for the for the bad news so that's why you're coming to see me um and people do react poorly because they don't have that reserved and th- the thing i I'm impressed by is that the mental gymnastics you have to to do to actually understanding people because most of us without thinking about it be, without the empathy you the first thing you're thinking oh,
1: yeah why I mean,
0: are you so upset with me what I haven't done to you and, yeah. and no, it's, it's not that is it
1: no and I mean in part that comes from personal experience of being the person behaving badly um so I have I about six years ago I got diagnosed with ME chronic fatigue which sort of basically means you sort of can end up spending a lot of your life feeling a bit like a faulty phone battery. So sort of you don't sort of you don't recharge properly, you're always running on low and sort of for no reason whatsoever all of a sudden one minute you've got 50% battery and the next you've got 15. Um so that meant that my sort of ability to cope with Stress or anything unpredictable was often very poor. So, I definitely can remember sort of almost having a total, sort of uh, having a total emotional breakdown on my doctor's receptionist yes. because I went in to collect a prescription that I'd ordered online that I'd run out of the night before for a medication that I take to help with pain that I take when I go to bed. I'd gone in yes. the day I needed it only to be told that oh, no, it hadn't been authorized because I needed a prescription check. But their systems were not set up to inform me of this. So I went in expecting it. I needed it. And I just went into a total psychological meltdown, basically, over the fact of, well, I need it and I won't be able to function tomorrow if I miss. And and I, yeah, so I, I, I've been there. I've been the person who has yes. that sort of irrational and it wasn't and I mean the poor receptionist sort of with hindsight I sort of felt awful for it wasn't her fault but she had to cope with this human being having a total psychological meltdown over something um so I've been that person which very much helps um but I'm not perfect either only the other day I I had a sort of conversation with a client on the doorstep who had come to pick up some insulin and it happened they usually had a 10 mil vial and it happened that we had given them four two and a half mil vials they'd been a thing with ordering and we had a load of small vials that we needed to use up it was exactly the same stuff just four small vials it's the same price sort of thing and anyway the the client was sort of didn't want to take it so reception came to speak to me and they're like they were like he's been sort of difficult sort of thing and I went out and I was sort of I was tired and I was a bit sort of probably a bit sort of initially sort of short with sharp him ways, and sort yeah. of sharp sharp that's that's yeah. a good way and just a bit sort of lacking sort of understanding i didn't ask why and that with hindsight is what i should have done is why is yes. it a problem um yeah. instead i'm like it's the same stuff and sort of we've not it's the same price he's like yeah but i i, I we have, we have these sort of other ones um it's sort of Thing and then he said, but she can't use them at midnight. And all of a sudden, I stopped and I took a pause. And I'm like, "Oh, you mean she has problems handling the bottles because they're much smaller?" He's like, yes. "Yes." I was like, "Oh, oh, okay." Yes. And then I just think, so yeah. I, although I, although I understand it, I am also a human, and certainly, sort of when, um, yeah, when I'm tired and sort of things. So yeah, we across across all aspects but very much i think in in our world the world would be a better place if we could all just take a breath sort of sort of sort of stop our initial defensive reactions and maybe ask yes. why why is this person re- responding in this way and, and not react from a point of defensiveness um whether that be online discussions whether that be workplace right. discussions or even in the supermarket
0: I think, I think we all do it. I agree. And I, I find that I do it myself as well. And it's very obvious when I do it because I'm Spanish. I, I still have this, um, blood bowling inside <laughs> me and everyone can see it. You know, <laughs> it's impossible for me to hide it. You know, when, when something, when I'm okay, I'm not very happy about that. It don't matter what I do. You know, yeah, it's everyone can see what's wrong with you. And what's wrong with me is, is I'm, I haven't taken that step back. And think, oh, yeah, okay, you know, it's it's simple as that, that. That's highlight a lot uh, what you're saying because you are. I have to Google, C uh, F C C F S M E, which yeah. is your diagnosis, which um, yeah. uh, I think is chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah, I mean, chronic fatigue syndrome. Not being able right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and 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 he highlight um, the invisible. Um, Diseases or illnesses or conditions. I don't know how you want to class them. Um, and, and I think there is a lot of, you know, when someone has any sort of, um, a problem, a disability or something like that, we all, we all think you're not in a wheelchair, you're not disabled. Yeah. I think that's something that we all, we, we all able people think. Um, and, and, you know, you go to the supermarket, like you said. And then you, you see someone parking in the disabled spot, and you don't see that they're disabled. And the first thing comes to people's mind is, Oh, you're not disabled. Why are you using that? Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. I, and I think that's, um, we are, important all. that we all uh, step back and, uh, and, and think about it. Uh, do you, do you want to, to tell me a little bit more about, uh how, how chronic fatigue syndrome affects you? Yeah. And yes.
1: So, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones. I I I pass for normal most of the time. Um, yes. I have become very good at sort of coping, I guess, and, and, and finding what works for me. So for me, it started with sort of just unexplainable fatigue. Um, and yes. like sort of, I'm talking the sort of Terrible hangover, sort of fatigue, where yes. you just can't do anything, and and sort of, but you've not done anything to deserve it, kind of thing. It's just that sort of. Somebody asks you to do something, and you're just like, I really want to, but I just can't. Uh, I, I I can't sort of, I can't. And there'd be things I'd want to do, um, and I'd just be like, I just can't. I can't get the motivation. I can't sort of find the energy. Um, and at first, I just thought it was getting older I thought it was stress I thought it was sort of a lot of things I'd had some mental health issues sort of around all the sort of um craziness that had sort of gone on in life um yes and then sort of and then this happened and and sort of initially sort of it was put down as like I'd had a flu bug or something i been, um, I'd been in the Netherlands, I'd sort of, I danced Argentine tango for fun and sort of travel Europe, sort of doing that, so I was there for the summer for a week um, with friends and had had what I just thought was flu, I was hot and running a temperature and felt rubbish and sort of, I got there and then I came back to work and I think sort of, I was only working two or three days and then it was, must have been the August bank holiday weekend. And I can remember being sort of like stood in the office at one of the computers typing up notes and feeling like, I feel like I want to collapse. I'm actually having to concentrate oh. on standing up. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm I don't am i know, 35, 36. It would have been around this time. Sort of, yes. I, this is, this is stupid. It, and you, you tell yourself it's all in your head, sort of, this can't be real kind of thing. It, it's, it's silly sort of thing um but that's how it felt like I had to I just felt like my legs were just heavy and achy and I actually had to focus on so I had to think about standing kind of thing which let's be fair we don't do we just stand um unless we're sort of unless we're sort of doing some sort of sport or or hobby where sort of our movement is different we we just stand we do it a lot every day (laughs) um And But I was like, oh, it's fine. I just need to get to the weekend. I obviously just overdid it a lot of late nights when I was away. I'll be fine at the weekend. And then I slept and, and I did feel a bit better. And then sort of I cycled over to a friend's for tea, which and when I mean cycle, like a, a mile across South Manchester um, on flat yeah. roads. So nothing of any sort of strenuous. And then the next day I was broken. We didn't... I think I had, like, two glasses of wine, so it wasn't, like, a hangover. Um yeah. And I just, I couldn't function, and I ended up phoning in sick, and I went to my doctor and got signed off for a, what ended up being a month because I just couldn't, I would get out of bed and go to the sofa and, and sort of the kitchen to make food, and yes. this was basically it. Um, and I just sort of couldn't just, just exhausted and and everything hurt um so that sort of dull achy muscles you get that are sort of usually the day or two after you've been to the gym and done too much this was sort of what my body did along with sort of fun neurological things like sort of pins and needles and weird tingly feelings um Mm -hmm. and after a month I went back to work because I was like well I can't stay off forever um sick pay sort of um Ran out, well, didn't run out, but I sort of was lucky that practice I was in had a reasonably decent sick policy. Um, So I got sort of a month's pay um, on full pay. So then I went back and I struggled to sort of keep going and sort of I worked Monday to Friday plus on courts. Yes. And I would sort of just about make it through the week. And then at my weekends, I would do not a lot. Um, I probably traveled two, maybe two weekends in that time to go to tango events. Um, and yeah, that was sort of, but I couldn't dance the way I used to for the same time, but it was still, I went because it helped to keep me sane and to be with friends yeah. and to hug and, and be in community. Yeah. Um, back in the days when we could hug people.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and nobody hugs like tango people. Um, and, um, and then it got to Christmas and I was having my parents for Christmas and, um, I'm a big food nerd, utter food nerd. So I was making Christmas dinner. So I was sort of, the food sort of was like sort of planning and prepping and, and sort of doing all the things you do. There was only four of us, but still, um, and two days, three days before Christmas, I think I, Went to a call, I pulled a shoe off a horse's foot, and I barely made it through the call. And I got back into work and basically collapsed on the sofa. And again, I was like, I, I can't move. And oh, wow. the rational part of me knew I could. I mean, it knew that if yeah. the building was on fire, I was still, I wasn't. Come but out. I, I yeah. almost felt, it almost felt like I was paralyzed in the sense of yeah. everything felt heavy, everything felt tight. Yes. And so, yeah, so I got sent home. (laughs) Concluded I probably wasn't much use. Um, I went to see the doctor the next day. um, He took bloods. And then about eight weeks later, thankfully, the first GP I saw was not the most sympathetic. um, But my normal GP was lovely and very supportive. And she sent me to a rheumatologist and I got a diagnosis of ME. Um, So for me, my ways of managing it are trying to pace myself. Um, yes. which I'm not always good at um, and the biggest key for me has been working out what my triggers are um so yes. um that has been a lot of dietary stuff, so um dairy unfortunately, I had to finally accept the fact that sort of I could no longer eat cheese um this was hard um I like cheese um, there are' vegan
0: cheese there are vegan cheeses they,
1: yeah they may yeah not no, right, but there are. Yeah, no, there are. Um, most of the ones that are available in the supermarket are pretty, pretty poor. They're on a par with like, <laughs> you, you know, you know, that cheap plastic sort of cheddar that you can get from the supermarket that doesn't really yes. taste of anything. They're like yeah. that, but with a mild hint of coconut. <laughs> so, yeah, most of the ones in the supermarket, not so great. Some of the mozzarellas are similar to sort of cheap mozzarella. Okay. Um so they're palatable and sort of on a pizza. There are now some people making amazing sort of nut cultured cheeses and things like that. Yes. And some of these are phenomenal, but yeah. they also cost you a small fortune. They. Yeah. I have even found, and only the Italians could do it, but there is an Italian company that has used gram flour, so chickpea flour, to make a vegan parmesan. And it's it's amazing. It's as good, it has the same texture and actually it tastes like parmesan. Um, really? <laughs> I know. I was. I yeah. I was amazed. I got it, and I was. I was expect. I had low expectations, um, but yeah. And only the Italian. I mean, I. W- I don't think I'd trust it if it was made by anyone other than the Italians, because sort of
0: yeah. Uh, how how long did they? Because that sounds a bit like an ordeal, you know, feeling unwell <laughs> forever, and yeah. then thinking it's all in my head. Um, how long did it take since the last, the first time you actually felt? And well, until you actually finally got a diagnosis. Uh,
1: probably sort of six to eight months from thing. Yes. But then actually, if I look back over the year or two before that, there were occasions that probably I was having flares uh, that I didn't realize that I put down to all the other stresses. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, I suspect oh, wow. sort of suspect sort of. Yeah, I suspect like a lot of people with this sort of thing, you've yes. been long ill for longer. I mean, there is a... A huge sort of chronically ill disabled community out there there's yeah. but there's also an even larger community of people who don't necessarily recognize that yes. they've got a problem they or yes. or that they, they sort of they don't um or they don't want to acknowledge that they've got a problem so yeah. sort of a lot of a lot of the work i'm now sort of doing which is trying to sort of raise awareness of those sort of with chronic illness and disability is about trying to bring about those sort of cultural shifts where actually we're we're making sort of accessibility inclusion Mm. the norm because it supports everybody um, not just those that actually need it it supports all those that sort of need it but don't know they need it but it also supports all those that sort of are I guess sort of normal, in inverted commas, sort of able body, because actually, just because your body's not a bit broken doesn't also mean that you don't sort of need flexibility and things to be easily yes. accessible. Um, yes. Most I- of us live very busy lives. We have many commitments and responsibilities. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yes. So that, uh, well, when uh, you, you are talking about the, the work you do it now, and um um, the word you did know, that you're the co-founder of the British Veterinary Chronic Illness Support yeah um, which you started uh, launching like a couple of years ago is that right
1: so we we originally well we still are a community we have a Facebook community for yes. all those within the veterinary profession which is called veterinary spoon holders which was yes. sort of started as a sort of a group to provide a safe space and peer to peer support for all those who see themselves as sort of living with some form of chronic illness or disability. We don't yes. we don't ask what we don't ask why we don't ask how long. We just ask that you identify and feel the need to sort of join our community, um, and that you work within the veterinary profession. Those are those are our two yes. rules. They're they're very simple. Um, yes, and. From there, it became very aware that we have an amazing community of people who are living with a huge raft of um, sort of challenges to their sort of additional challenges to their day to day life. Um,
0: I, I like that definition, additional challenges to their day to day lives, yeah. not that this disability condition. I was trying to find a word earlier, additional yeah. challenges. Well, no,
1: I, like I, I mean, we. So, the evolution, so the the, the BBCIS, the British Chronic Illness Support, has uh-huh. has come off the back of that. Um, we recognised that we needed to this subgroup of people's voices needed to be heard. Um, they needed to be heard Absolutely. within the framework of organisations that already exists. That nobody nobody was speaking up for them. There's a lot of discussion about mental health at the moment, which is yes. hugely important and hugely valid. There's a lot of discussion about wellness at work and all of this but most of the wellness side of things in particular presume make starts from the presumption of able bodiedness yes. so you get the conversations that go well it's really important that people are able to finish on time so that they can they have chance to sort of explore hobbies and do things outside of yes. work to sort of thing which is great and very valid but there's a sub community of people for whom needing to finish work on time means that if they do that it's the difference between not having to go home and choose whether you have a shower or whether you cook dinner you can do both because you finished on time rather than being so exhausted when you get home you have to choose between the two
0: that's very important is yeah. um because you, you're talking about people who have to make choices on day to the normal yeah. day stuff yeah. and you talk about about that with um um with a similarity with um whether you yourself have um enough battery. Um I, I think something that a lot of people uh don't know and um is is a is a term you have used spoon holders mm-hmm. or
1: uh
0: when you go to the uh BBCIS website it says it's made for spoonies um uh and buy spoonies. Yeah. Do you want to explain the theory
1: so Holder theory was designed was originally brought up by a lady called Christine. I forget her surname um anyway my I think she has lupus. I think she had lupus. she was supposedly anyway a friend a good friend had asked her sort of what it was like living with lupus, which is another of these sort of um, often hidden illnesses. Lupus affects your immune system and your ability to deal with things. Um, And fatigue. Fatigue is often a common thread across a huge huge swathe of, of illnesses sort yes. of when your body is dealing with other things the first thing it does is drain your very energy um, and the story goes that supposedly they were in a restaurant so she grabbed a handful of cutlery so a handful of spoons and said well imagine that the these are sort of your spoon is in a spoon is a unit of energy Every activity you do takes spoons. So whether that simply be getting out of bed in the morning. And there's lots of things that we take for granted when we're not. So it takes spoons to actually physically sit up and get out of bed in the morning and go to the bathroom. It takes spoons yes. to brush your teeth, brush your hair. If you ask most people, what's the first thing you do in the morning? What's the first thing you do in the morning?
0: I think I uh, open my eyes and get up.
1: Oh. Yeah. yeah, which which is exactly the thing. But actually, if you, if I ask that question... Before what I first said, most people will say I brush my teeth or I put the kettle on yeah. you've missed a whole bunch of steps um, So yes, yeah. yeah, so the spoon is a way to decide to sort of explain everything takes yes. spoons Um for for able-bodied people um mostly your spoons are reasonably finite um sort of your spoon drawer is pretty full also sort of you go to bed at night you sleep you wake up your spoons are nicely washed they're back in your drawer kind of thing you're sort of ready to start start the day in you um with sort of with chronic illness sort of disability it's more likely that sort of your spoon drawer is often sort of only half full to start with um so you're starting from a back foot um sort of many different things sort of thing you go to sleep and sort of some days it doesn't matter how long you sleep and you can sleep for 12 hours but you still open it and you discover that sort of someone sort of stole half your spoons overnight and sort of the drawer is much emptier than you thought it should be yes. um so yeah it's it's a term to sort of um term to sort of describe this and from that comes spoonie which has sort of come to be a sort of I guess a, a name for sort of a, a sort of a gentler term, maybe, for sort of people living with chronic illness.
0: It's very interesting because that's the way for for me to understand and it, and it does it does help to understand it. Again, I didn't know I have to read.
1: Yeah, a lot of people. Do. I... Yeah, um, and it's and one when we chose BBCS, we had a lot of debate about the name, and we initially worried about using chronic illness in our name because there's so Mm -hmm. much we talk about mental health stigma a lot these days and one of our goals is to sort of start to raise awareness of there's there's just as much stigma associated with chronic illness and disability and these are words that we're often and I I mean i myself i'm I'm getting the more I'm talking about it, I'm getting better at using those terms at owning yes. those terms that yes, I have a chronic illness, yes, from the point of view of the law and the Equalities act, I class as disabled um yes. because our 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 framing and how we've been trained societally for most of us from when we were very young is that to yeah. be disabled is to be in a wheelchair or to be disabled yeah. is to not be able to do normal things kind of thing. Um, and for me, owning those words um, is about taking back the sort of the control and power and to saying, actually, you can be disabled, you can be chronically ill and you can still sort of be a functioning sort of sort of member of society that gives back as much as you take kind of thing or gives back more than you take that we it's time we live in a very different world to when I guess disability was originally named we live in a world where sort of just things should be and can be easier that sort of Modern technology sort of should be working to rapidly improve accessibility so that actually heavy doors just have a push button because the tech is cheap and easy to retrofit and install um, that there are lots of things that can be done to sort of to mean that disability doesn't mean the end to owning the yeah. fact as being disabled doesn't mean you can't go on and do all the things you wanted to do and be the things that you dreamt of being.
0: Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's very interesting. This, the, uh, this bring me um, a lot of questions. And one of the questions that have been burning in my mind is um, at work, um, I, I would worry about asking someone as a colleague or maybe as a manager, ask them, about their disability for, f- one of the reasons is because uh, partly because I'm human and corruptly curious you know yeah no matter how you ask that question, part of you is going to be sensationalist you're going to to think I want to know you yeah. know which is not very nice, but let's be honest people do it people ask yeah. partly for, because of that question and When you ask this question, one of the things you want to get as well is, how can I help you? Yep. So how would you or someone who's part of the BBCIS group expect others to ask that question or or do they need to ask it?
1: Um, To some extent, yes, the conversations need to be had because one of the biggest problems that we, we have currently is that people are not being supported and not being given yes. the support that they need. Um that also that lack of understanding and awareness leads to people making poor judgments on why something is happening. Um yes. now obviously everything is a lot of things are very individualistic. So I I come from a place of security, so I am very open um, about yeah. my issues. But I'm also sort of come from a position of security because I know that For the majority, I can probably get away with doing most things I want to do. So I'm very privileged in that sense. Um, Yes. I think it depends, sort of, it depends on on how you broach that conversation, depends on sort of what setting it's in. Is it informal, sort of, is it informally with a friend or a colleague? Um, In which case, it's maybe asking about sort of, I want to understand better, sort of, how sort of what's going on with you sort of uh, sort of framing it from the perspective of I'm looking to understand I'm curious of, to learn more so that I can support yes. you better and the same yeah. the same from a manager's perspective sort of how help me to sort of what can I how can I understand better sort of what's going on what does support look like to you what what support yes. do you need sort of asking and they may not have all the answers um but sort of certainly if you're looking at it from a manager's perspective then it's sort of what does support look like for you um yes. what what sort of what are your what are your needs so we can try and work because if you can if you can open that conversation and if you can ensure that people feel psychologically safe to have that conversation and be vulnerable with you then you're much more likely to avoid the sort of boom and bust That tends to happen at the moment. So what happens for so many of us, and I'm guilty myself, is that when you're feeling good, you try and do all the things that you want to do. It's like, I'm having a good week, sort of, I can do this and I can do that and and all of these things. And all that happens is you do all of these things and then the following week you crash and burn. Because you just did too much on the weeks you were good. And we do that in our personal lives because we're just so happy that we have energy and we can do stuff. But we also do that in work, especially because most, most of us recognize that and and live with the guilt of feeling like we're not good enough, like we're failing. Yeah. We're letting people down because our bodies are being a bit shit. That sort of we're letting we're letting ourselves down. We're letting our colleagues down. We're not a full member of the thing so if you suddenly have a load of energy you maybe push yourself to do a bit more work a bit later sort of work a bit harder and then all that happens is you crash um so if you can produce if you can sort of provide people with a safe space where they feel they can be open and honest you're less likely to get this sort of i have to prove myself when i'm good to make up for the fact of when i'm not so good
0: well, you shouldn't be that way. Yeah, no. yeah. No. Uh, I am. Um, something you said, you said about provide a safe space for people where they can be vulnerable um, to you. And when when you say that, should should ever a person who has chronic illness um, be worried about communicating that to their colleague or their boss?
1: They shouldn't be, but they almost certainly are. Um, in an ideal yes. society, well, that, yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, no, absolutely. In an ideal world, we would all work in environments and and have environments where we feel safe, being honest and open and authentic about sort of who we are with the people we're surrounded. Um, I'd love for us so to for reach. managers.
0: So for managers is more. More about creating an atmosphere, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's it's creating a culture, a, a safe yes. workplace culture where people feel they can be sort of, they can be authentic, that they can sort of say when they're struggling because the people who are maybe sort of, maybe making comments behind their sort of colleagues back now that, oh, she's yeah. lazy, they're lazy, they're sort of this, they're that they don't know where they're going to be in 6 months time in 6 months time right. in 12 months time they may they may be ill themselves or maybe they have suddenly have caring responsibilities which means they have to be out of the door as soon as their shift finishes they have no choice it's non-negotiable so yeah. it's it's trying to really all work to to move workplace culture to a point where we are showing more empathy and, and more compassion and more understanding. um, Yeah. So that's
0: yeah. sort of... I, uh, something that I, I was impressed by is when you sent me the email about the aims of um, uh, BVCIS. Um, and one of them was um, to raise awareness and, um, and give the resources. But what you say about giving the resources is not just for people being affected by it. No. But for everyone, so yep. that atmosphere and that support can be created, which yeah. I think I think is very important because it's a it's a two way street. It's yeah, people Absolutely. who are able and they 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 don't have uh, the challenge. Well, if they're not on board, nothing's yeah. going to improve.
1: Yeah, I think so, mo- most of us recognise that sort of most of the people we work with are trying their best. It's just they have either no first hand lived experience. I mean, most people's understanding of being ill is very short termist. It's about sort of being ill as you get the flu and you're sick for a couple of weeks being ill as you break your arm. It's not something you're never going to get better. And if you have chronic illness, you get it all the time. Oh, well, maybe they'll find a cure maybe which again, it implies that it implies you need to be fixed. It implies that you need to be changed. So it's shifting all of that to sort of to 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 help people to better understand because you can't you can't give support if you don't know if you don't understand if you don't know what support is supposed to look like
0: absolutely absolutely um before before we we move on um i'm going to move on to other stuff yep. but i feel like this is very important <laughs> of course it'll be um in your um in your profile in the website and um, with a link to um Uh, to bbcis okay tell me about tango
1: (laughs) 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 oh tango so i yeah i i have done a lot of lot of hobbies over the years i mean as a kid i i did every sport under the sun just about i i played lacrosse i swam i did gymnastics um sort of and all sorts of other things martial arts
0: and cook you
1: like cooking as well? Oh yeah, no, I'm an utter food nerd. I mean, put it this way, as when I was a student, if you came to my house for tea, if it was like two of us for tea, I would, you would get um, pan-fried duck breast with a red wine reduction, followed by a chocolate and Cointreau mousse and flambéed strawberries. That was the house specialty in my house.
0: Brilliant.
1: <laughs> um, at 21 as a vet student, so, um, and food has food has remained a passion for, for most all of my life. I, my language skills are terrible, um, but I speak food in many, many languages. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, that has been a blessing when sort of you need to adjust your diet. And um, it's something yeah. one one of these days I will make the time to sort of actually put some of my food passions onto paper and, and onto the Internet and things. But one day. Um, but yeah. no, tango. So I, yeah. I came to tango. The year I turned 30, so 15, 14 years now, 14, 14 and a half years. Um, and yeah, there was some. a friend mentioned they were thinking of going, and I was like, oh, sounds like a laugh. Why not? And so went along, and they didn't stick with it, but I did. Um, <laughs> and it's a tango, is a very unique dance in a lot of ways um so for me i dance social tango which is quite different to the show tango you see on telly so yes. sort of um all the sort of big sort of fancy moves and kicks and flicks and things this is not sort of i mean it's beautiful you don't know what you do it's not not what i do so i mean it's beautiful but to me it's sort of it's it's modern dance rather than sort of tango as i know it so social tango is is very different it's um it's a close embrace dance. So it's basically you, you move in a hug. Um, Uh So it's sort of, I describe it to people, it's sort of, um, it's basically sort of vertical Pilates whilst meditating, hugging and moving to music. Um, (laughs) So yeah, and it's just, it's the perfect antidote to a sort of a stressful life. A, you can spend hours hugging people, um, and properly hugging people, the sort of Okay. Tango people give the sort of hugs that most people would go, hang on a minute, this has all gone on a bit too long. Um, Those sort of really committed (laughs) sort of 15, 20-second hugs that you give sort of to really good friends. Um, And they're just so restorative. Um, But, yeah, so you hug, and it's about two people losing themselves in the music. It's an improvised dance. Yes. So you sort of, with lead and follow, um, as a leader, sort of, you're in charge of sort of steering and at least starting the suggestion. It's like a conversation. So a leader is in, is sort of in charge of sort of controlling how the conversation starts, maybe, and for navigating yeah. the floor. Um, and then as a follower, sort of, it's how you sort of follow that, how you interpret that, and, and sort of where you choose to take the conversation.
0: I'm very interested because um, when... When I was a student, I, I learned merengue. Yeah. And, um, uh, which is, uh, it's a, also a, a American, uh, Central American, South American dance. Yeah. And then it got to the point where I could dance merengue to everything. You, you could put heavy metal. Yeah, and yeah. I would dance merengue to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and the other thing I really find interesting, when you say about hugging people and, you know, with the pandemic, which is almost, it's been impossible. Yeah. Um, and it, even I'm Spanish and, I'm not the closer person to to hug, uh, but uh, culturally still miles away from most people from the UK. You yeah. know, I I. I, I it, it hasn't been that long since I realized that hugging a nurse was not really a great thing to do at work, you know. And, no, it
1: depends on your nurses. <laughs>
0: it depends on the. Received, yes, I know. it's but, like
1: everything. It depends I- on your relationship with your community, with your.
0: Yes, but the, it's not. It's not something that um, I, I should be promoting for other people to do. You know, <laughs> particularly when you are one of the directors and thinking, yeah. "Oh, hmm, hmm, uh, yes." Yeah,
1: do yeah, ensure you have consent exactly.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yes. When we can, hopefully we can soon, you know, hug each other and all that. Uh, Maybe that's a great thing for people to to learn, to, um, you know, to take their minds off work, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it works for me and it's given me the opportunity to travel, which I love. I mean, some of my best friends now live in sort of Norway, Germany and the Netherlands. So sort of, yeah, I spent... When I left Equine work to do, sort of, to locum, I took, sort of, two months off, and I spent a month of that travelling through the Nordics, um, and yeah. I didn't, I think I, I only once paid for accommodation for a night when I stayed in Gothenburg, wow. um, because <clears throat> the friend I was going to stay with wasn't there, I sort of bounced my way around, sort of, staying with Tango friends, so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it's, it, it was amazing, very privileged, and something I am... Um, yes. I have not been grounded this long, sort of, in sort of about five years since I got back into it with the bang. Yes. Um, yeah. I've been very grateful for the advent of cheap flights. <laughs> yeah,
0: brilliant. <laughs> um, something that I skipped earlier is the, um, it's a conversation about semen in Tesco's. <laughs> Could you yeah. could you tell me why did you end up talking about about semen?
1: Yeah, this Tesco's? is the ridiculous conversations you have and in the, the inappropriate conversations that sort of, when taken out of context, you were asking me about sort of funny things and sort of, yeah, the only thing I, it always comes back to sort of things that sort of, things that report to sort of sex. So lube and semen, two things that we can end up sort of asking for on a regular basis that... In any other yes, world, it's is, is very weird. Yes. <laughs> I yes. mean, sort of on on a, on a regular basis in our prep room at work, somebody would be like, "Well, someone chuck me some lube." It's like, sort of, <laughs> yeah. for those non vets out there, we use lube on thermometers. <laughs> yes, <absolutely. laughs> or we use lube for sort of ultrasound machines and things. Ultrasound um, machines,
0: but yes. it's, sort so of that, somehow that we that are happens.
1: all we are all still schoolboys, schoolchildren at heart, and it, it makes yes, us giggle are, a little bit. When yes. yeah, no. So I in my equine days I did a lot of fertility work, which meant I did a lot of artificial insemination work. Um uh-huh. and so when you are doing artificial insemination, you sort of we we sort of manipulate things and we, we time things so that we know when the, the, the mare, the, the female, is going to sort of release her egg, so ovulate, so that we can make sure that we time the semen so it's going in to give us the best chance of getting her pregnant. Um, yes. And the reason people use AI is it takes the risk out of sort of putting a stallion and a mare together, which can potentially thing, But also it means you can use a stallion that lives a long way away from where you live. Um, yes. And a lot of semen comes what we call fresh chilled, um, and this means that it was collected. Um, it's then sort of put in some stuff to sort of help it sort of live a little bit longer. And then they box it up and they put it in a big polystyrene box and they give it to the Royal Mail Post Office usually. Um, mm-hmm. So semen regularly through the summer, spring and summer, is flying around the Royal Mail Service sort of in in sort of polystyrene boxes. So. I I had a day where sort of something was coming and I can't remember whether it was coming from the continent or thing and we were expecting this and our mayor was ready to go and the postman had been and this hadn't shown up and I'm like sort of, and it's lunchtime so hence I'm in Tesco's. and I'm like sort of having this conversation. I was actually like, I just, I we need to find it sort of, we need the semen sort of now. It's like sort of, this has to go over till tomorrow. We're so good and things. So yeah, I, I'm stood in Tesco's and my sort of, my work colleagues go, I thought you said you're in the supermarket. She's like, yeah. She's like, Is, are people not giving you odd looks? I'm like, <laughs> no, I didn't really think about it. Um <laughs> yeah, it turned out they'd sent it to the wrong address. It had gone to the client's address, so that's why we didn't have it. Um but yeah, so yeah. I found myself in seamen in sort of Tesco's basically going, Yeah, know, I need the semen now. Um <laughs> which yeah out of context is sort of a probably of a little staring. bit weird for anybody <laughs> close enough to hear my conversation.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm that Um uh, Claire, it's been really, really good to have you in. And I want to thank you for burning one of your spoons with me today.
1: (laughs) Thank you. That's okay. It's been a pleasure.
0: And that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the show and don't forget to share this recording in social media and with friends and family. Also, if you want to know when the next episode comes out, visit the podcast website, morethanjessabet.net, and subscribe to the newsletter. Hasta la próxima!